the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Jesus' words, uh, and he's going to ascend uh, from the Mount of Olives back in Jerusalem at, uh, at the time uh, just before the Feast of Pentecost, uh, but he commissions them and he commissions all of us to share the good news of who he is, baptizing those who put faith in Jesus Christ, not as an act of salvation, but in response to salvation, and uh, Jesus, our risen Lord, we still worship and serve today. And he's coming again. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he met with the disciples and appointed them to go out and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. As you'll be reminded by Pastor Gary in today's message, this commissioning from Jesus to his disciples is also for Christians today. The Bible commands Christ followers to go out and share the good news with anyone they meet. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now, Pilate does not heed his wife's advice here, but again, as you kind of recognize that this whole thing is a plan unfolding and that God is behind this, that uh, it doesn't surprise us that he wouldn't take his wife's um, advice at this moment, but at least she has insight into his true innocence, and she tries to persuade her husband, don't have anything to do with this guy. Verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Notice how you can just get this sense. Like he he doesn't want to do this. You know, he's thinking in the back of his mind, Rome's going to recall me. My wife tells me this is not a good thing to do. The crowd is going to riot. I don't know what to do. I'm torn here. And he appeases the crowd, washes his hands, says, I'm innocent of of the blood of this man. And verse 25, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Warren Wearsby Uh, I think articulated it well when he talked about the human failure surrounding Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. 
Note, Judas yielded to Satan. Peter yielded to his flesh. Pilate yielded to the world. Judas yielded to Satan. Peter gave in to his own flesh when he denied knowing Jesus three times. I don't even know him, and he lies, calls down curses on his head. And then Pontius Pilate yields to the world. He submits to the crowd and does what the world wants. These three things are always in concert against us. Satan, our own flesh, and the world. We have to constantly be on guard against these very forces that work in concert against us. Our own flesh at times is going to rise up to lead us into sin and temptation. Satan, of course, is always in demonic principalities. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, because Satan and demonic forces are always trying to work against us and the world. The world and the things of the world and the love of the world and, and all that the world embodies, those things are always going to be working against us. So we see it happening here in this very story. Satan, the flesh, and the world working against uh, Jesus. And um, take note, those same things are at work against us. It says here that uh, in verse 26 that Pontius Pilate had Jesus flogged. Matthew does not give the description Uh, If you are interested, you can read a very descriptive account uh, that was published in 1986 in the Journal of the American Medical Association by a medical doctor by the name of Dr. W.D. Edwards. Dr. W.D. Edwards, 1986, published in JAMA, the Journal for the American Medical Association, entitled The Physical Death of Jesus Christ. And a medical doctor writes about the description of concerning crucifixion and what Jesus would have gone through, uh, it is probably best, as far as the graphic detail, that we only read Jesus was flogged. Because if we had to really uh, comprehend just the, 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 the ultimate and, and awful description of his flogging, it would probably be too much to bear in the pages of, of Scripture here. And so maybe perhaps God knowing that, he, he kind of withholds a lot of the details. Most Prisoners who were accused by the Roman government of a crime and sentenced to death by crucifixion were flogged first, and most criminals died at the flogging, uh, and they never even made it to the cross. And so imagine here, uh, the Romans had perfected crucifixion. It was really not their idea. The uh, Persians had first uh, thought of the idea of crucifixion, impaling people on poles and trees, and the Romans perfected it, and as they would flog someone, they would use something called the flagellum, which was a whip made of leather, and all these different leather pieces that came out at the end had barbs of either bone or glass, Uh, and they would then, as they're whipping someone, flogging them, it would just be tearing uh, the flesh off their back. It was just excruciatingly painful and uh, something we probably can't even comprehend, Uh, but... um, the details are, are left out of, of Scripture here, so you can read up on it if you're interested in, in just um, how awful crucifixion is. Well, verse 27 says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, 
and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. On one of my first trips to Israel, I picked up this, um, what the crown of thorns may have looked like, and this is um, a vine that is indigenous to Israel, and uh, some of you can see these thorns. I mean, some of these thorns are about two and a half inches long. Um, Just incredible to think, just this one aspect of the crucifixion of Christ, just pressing a crown of thorns like this upon his head. And of course, again, the word there is they mocked him. All of this was just a charade. They put a little crown on, they put a crown of thorns on him, they give him a staff, they put this robe on him, they mock him, they, they spit upon him, and, uh, and it's all part of just humiliating him and abusing him and uh, mocking him. Then they lead him off to be crucified. And it tells us in verse 32 that as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Here's this innocent bystander there, uh, probably no doubt there for the feast time of Passover. Cyrene is a city in what would be modern Libya. So he's from North Africa, and he has come there as part of the feast time. And uh, Jesus now being... Uh, so physically exhausted. Imagine, he's been up all night. You know, he prayed through the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he was arrested. Then before the Sanhedrin. Then before Pontius Pilate. Luke tells us he goes to Herod after Pontius Pilate. And then Herod sends him back to Pontius Pilate. So some of the details Matthew doesn't give us that you compare the rest of the Gospels to get the whole story. But he's been up all night. It is now early hours of the morning. They're leading him out to, to be crucified, and, uh, and he's been up all night. He's, ex- he's in excruciating pain. He's exhausted, and he, and he can't carry the cross the whole distance. And so they pull this guy out of the crowd, and they force him to carry the cross. I remember as a teenager uh, being in some, I don't even know where I was. I don't even remember what the situation was, but it was a church setting. I was, I was either at a retreat or it was a... It was a, um, some kind of a missions meeting at our church. I don't even remember what it was, but I do remember this. Someone was asked, we were all asked, if there was anybody in the Bible that you would want to be, who would it be? And, you know, most people are answering things like, well, I'd love to be the Apostle Paul. Well, you know, I'd love to, uh, I'd, I'd love to be Daniel and, you know, and feel that experience of what it would be like to be in the lion's den and not be eaten by lions. Or I'd love to be Mary. I'd love to be Ruth or whatever. And I remember this one elderly gentleman, and, and when it came to him, he said, I'd love to be Simon of Cyrene. We all just kind of looked at him and like, well, that's not a very glamorous role, you know. That's not like a Daniel, you know, that Simon of Cyrene. And we just all kind of confused. And there was silence in the room. And I remember him just saying, because if there was ever any one thing I, I would have wanted to do, it would have been to carry the cross for my Lord. Uh, none of us had any more answers in the room after that. <laughs> Verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull. That's an Aramaic term, Golgotha. Aramaic was the primary language of Jesus and the Jews of the day. Uh, It's also called Calvary. That's after a Latin word. So Golgotha and Calvary both translate the skull. Verse 34, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, wine mixed with gall, the, the Romans would give a person about to be crucified because it was an analgesic. It was a painkiller. Notice when Jesus tasted it and he realized this is what it was, he refused it. Why? 
Because Jesus wanted to experience every ounce of pain for you and me. He didn't want anything to numb it. He wanted to experience the full impact of, his, of the suffering for you and for me. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his, on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let, him, let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And again, when you take all the Gospels together, Luke says that one of those thieves, one of those robbers, did turn to Christ and was forgiven. But notice the crowd is hurling insults. The chief priests are mocking him. Uh, the criminals, at least one or both for a time, heaped insults on him. And verse, 40 says, verse 45 says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. Now, this is 12 noon, the sixth hour, starting with sunrise, is 12 noon until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, that's Aramaic for, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's also a fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 1. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's saying, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi. Notice he doesn't call God Abba. He doesn't call God my father. He calls God my God because at this moment he's taking our place. And immediately one of them, verse 48, ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. Now this doesn't have the gall in it. Put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the curtain in the temple was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. And the reason why God tears it from the top to the bottom is that so that nobody could ever say that you manipulated it from the bottom up. This was God signifying that the curtain which separated the presence of God from the people of God was now open because we have access to God through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the curtain. And we go through him to get to the Father. No longer do we have to go through a human being to get to God. Jesus Christ paid the price. He is our high priest. And the curtain was ripped in two so that we might have, that was symbolic to suggest that we now have access to the Father. Acts 6 verse 7 tells us that a large number of priests became believers. And I suspect it's because the priests who were there at the time when this earthquake happens and the curtain rips in two, they realize and they get convicted and they understand that the access has now been gained through Jesus Christ. It says that uh, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. 
The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, only Matthew tells us this part. None of the other Gospels talk about other people who came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection go into the city. He has no commentary, no explanation, and we have no idea what all this means. But he has it there for us. In verse 54, keep reading, he says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. There are only three times in the New Testament that centurions are mentioned. A Roman centurion, who is officer over a hundred soldiers, and every time a centurion is mentioned, it's in a positive light. That they, are, they, become, they come to faith, Cornelius, the centurion who, whose servant was sick, and here this centurion. They come to faith. And it says in verse 55 that many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. That's the Joseph of Arimathea who dissented with the vote of the Sanhedrin, according to Luke's gospel. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Notice, it's in bedrock that it was hewn out of. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, this is actually a picture I took years ago of that spot in Jerusalem when we go on our trip to Israel and uh, this is likely, I say likely because, you know, we can't know definitively, but likely the burial place of Jesus. Uh, and it fits the description in many different ways. John's Gospel gives a, a great description of the tomb. It is only um, about 200 yards from the uh, crucifixion scene from the place of the skull. It was called Golgotha, the place of the skull, because the outcropping of the hill looks like a skull. And uh, so Joseph of Arimathea is going to give up his family tomb to Jesus, and he's going to wrap him in clean linen cloth. The other Gospels tell us that uh, Nicodemus was a part of this, and then buries him in the tomb cut out of solid bedrock, And it tells us in verse 62 that the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, they call him the deceiver, huh? After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Chapter 28, after the Sabbath, well, the Sabbath is a Saturday, so after the Sabbath, now it's Sunday at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and Matthew just says, the other Mary, 
uh, went to look at the tomb. We don't know exactly which Mary this is. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. This is just the description of the angel. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They're always trying to pay off people. Gave them a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples... This is now the twelve minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Remember Thomas? And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is Jesus' words. uh, And he's going to ascend uh, from the Mount of Olives back in Jerusalem at uh, at the time uh, just before the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, But he commissions them and he commissions all of us to share the good news of who he is baptizing those who put faith in Jesus Christ, not as an act of salvation, but in response to salvation. And uh, Jesus, our risen Lord, we still worship and serve today. And he's coming again. Now, I love the way that the Gospels are given to us from four different angles by four different authors, inspired by the same Holy Spirit, because this story is so important that we need to hear it four different ways, four different angles, taken all together to get the fullest picture of these events. And so next week, we'll be starting into the Gospel of Mark. And just as we've been showing uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, the picture of the lion, because Jesus is portrayed in Matthew's Gospel as the majestic lion, the, uh, the Son of God, uh, he is portrayed in... Mark's gospel as the son of man. He is portrayed as the servant and uh, throughout Mark's gospel and thus the picture of the ox, the, the beast that is symbolic of being the servant. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know